yet saying, no, 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 this is a lesson I really need to teach. Not today. So, so far I've got half a voice. We'll see how that goes. Uh, every now and then I get these. So, all right. Uh, that said, how'd your week go? Anything uh, jump out at you? I'm like James Earl Jones. You guy have no father. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Uh, what, you have our time taking me seriously, aren't you? Like, what is wrong with this guy? One of the things that we made a, a commitment to do. Uh, one of the concerns that I have had about the church in our approach publicly uh, for a long time is the fact that there are there are a number of issues within the church uh, that, are, that require some explanation uh, and either to new members or require an explanation to our kids or to people that don't understand very well. Uh, and, and I don't think as a church we've done very well sometimes of explaining ourselves publicly, and because of that, we're not always sure what to say. There are issues like blacks in the priesthood, um, and this is one of them. Uh, we're going to be talking today about plural marriage. And it's one of those things that we almost like to say, well, it's not important to your salvation, so I'm not going to Main, which, which is interpreted as I really don't have an answer for that and I wish we talked about something else. Um, and like I said, the problem that we have is that in some of these more difficult issues there is no place in the new member lessons, there's no room in the 
discussions, there's no room in sacrament meeting, there's no room in gospel doctrine to ever discuss any of these issues. So for the most part, we're left kind of trying to get our own answers. We may get it from somebody else that we know, or we go into Google and Dumb, and start getting those answers, and, you, and who knows who you're getting the answers from. Uh, so one of the things that we've tried to do in this class is as we come up on these issues is handle it head on so that we know what the facts are. Because the worst thing that we can't do is throw out false facts. We think we know. We heard this from somebody. This is the reason for this. We follow, we throw out false facts. And then our, our uh, critics eat us alive because we're, we're, what we're throwing out is easily disprovable. So this is one of them. Okay? Um, so I want to really kind of focus today on what we know, what we don't know. And it's important on this issue as well as others to really, really know what we don't know. And to be very honest about what we don't know. Um, now to do that, let's hop over to uh, section 132. But in this, in this setting also, he's going to say, Therefore, prepare thy... And, and now listen closely to this, because I think there's sometimes... How would you respond if, if the Lord said, I have... This is a little bit like sitting down with the bishop and the state president, and he says to you, 
Um, we have a calling for you. I say, okay, what is it? And he says, um, prepare thy heart to receive and obey the instructions which I am about to give you. For all those who have this law revealed in them must obey the same. How are we with, uh, are we one of those that would say, well, tell me what it is and I'll tell you whether I can obey it. Or we have a place in our own heart where we say, whatever it is. Sisters, when you've got your mission calls, and you're going, maybe it'll be Japan. Maybe it'll be like Antarctica. Oh, it's Texas. Yeah, I hear a talk. Okay? But you said they're opening it saying, wherever the Lord sends me, there will I go. Uh, I listened in on a sweet little gal. I opened a commission call uh, the other night. Uh, she put on Google Plus so we could actually link in and like everybody's watching this live feed of her open country. She goes, Sister, you have been called to the Arizona Tuscan Mission. <laughs> and she's all excited about it. So said to Joseph, if you will write the revelation on celestial marriage, I will take it and read it to him. And I believe I can convince her of its truth and you will hereafter have peace. Joseph smiled and said, oh, you do not know Emma as well as I do. I have to You know what? That is a really good idea. That's a really good idea. You want to read the next one? Thank you. That is a perfect idea. She said, well, how about having you guys read it instead of me reading it? So I say my voice. Okay. Okay, 1543, okay. 
want you to look at what he does. He then requested me to get paper and prepare to write. Hiram very urgently requested Joseph to write the revelation by means of the Urim and Thummim. But Joseph, in reply, said he did not need to, for he knew the revelation perfectly from beginning to end. Have you read it? Oh my. That he knew it perfectly. Maybe you need the Urim and Thummim. No, I got this one memorized. It's been sitting with me for 12 years. It's 
I were going to guess, I would expect, but we don't know. Mainly because we know so very, very little. There's one line from Oliver Cowdery is all we really have on this on this one. But we know that was in Kermit and it was prior to Farmers. So don't know. And and there there were statements that the uh, the other statement that was always said about this is are the more but what we started to get was there were questions being raised to Joseph Smith as early as eighteen thirty five saying do the, do the saints believe in spiritual wyvern? That was the term for kind of taking as many women as you want, just kind of on your own whim. Kind of calling it a spiritual thing. And Joseph said, no, we do not believe in spiritual wyvern. That in his belief, it was going to take a revelation to go ahead and do this. But there were questions already being asked in 1835, which meant there was some sense among uh, the church and especially outside the church when we're hearing things. But maybe this is out there. Um, isn't it true, though, that as long as the practice is basically, you have been uh, instructed by the prophet to take the girl out? It wasn't just anybody that decided they were going to do this. In Nauvoo, that was true. That was not. Once we got out to Utah, that was not, that was not so much. And that, that's what we're going to Plural marriage was not lived very well in Utah. Is that a mild way of putting it? And we have the journals to say this was every bit the sacrifice and Abrahamic struggle that you might think it was because it was like the law of consecration. Plural marriage was not practiced very well. Some people did it well and some people did it poorly. Somehow it had gotten out a little bit and there was some sense out there. Somebody, yeah. That he would bring it up. And if, that, that's right. Because there's another, there's a newspaper interview in 1836 asking the same thing. And he's still saying, we do not practice. We believe in one wife. Uh, 
Uh, even today, 50% of the United States believes that we still practice programming. There is not a doctrine or a law that could have been introduced into this church that would bring more distrust on himself, on his character, and on the church than this one. This was, this was a nuclear Before. 
I'm in the situation where his first wife died. Yes. So this is the second marriage for Yes. And when this all gone by me, I hesitated. I'll bet. And um, we sure if I got was, don't worry about it, you will be happy. Yes, and that's cool. We'll go with that. Yeah, and that's why we're bound. We're bound by under our understanding of things. saw the trouble that would follow. Joseph had seen into the into the, the history of this church, saw what it would create. That an angel from heaven had appeared before him with a drawn sword, threatening him with destruction unless he went forward to obey the commandment. Okay? This is something, that, and again, this is like four or five years into this. That he's, he's got it, he's got it memorized, he's not following through. Finally, it takes a sword by an angel to say, move. He further said that my sister, Eliza R. Snow, had been sealed to him as his wife for time and eternity. This conversation was prolonged, I think, one hour or more when he told me many important things. That's why if you go to uh, Eliza Snow's grave next to Brigham Young's, uh, you'll see Eliza, Roxy, Snow, Smith. I solemnly declare before God and his holy angels, as I hope to come forward in the morning of the first resurrection, that the above statement is true. Here's what else we know. Emotion. Uh, Emma emotionally swung wildly in response to this. Finally, uh, say, you know, I've got to do this. 
Uh, and so on one occasion, she, uh, you're aware of the, uh, the Whitney sisters that he had sealed to him in her presence. Uh, and they moved in to the mansion house with them. About three days later, she changed her mind and uh, asked them to find housing elsewhere. It was a, it was, this was really, really hard. And to the end of her days, uh, she always proclaimed Joseph as a prophet. She saw the Book of Mormon and everything, and she just did not want to talk about morality. And again, I just, I have a hard time finding any kind of anger, animosity, or anything towards this one. Because she was in everything that she did. And this was almost a tipping point breaking. Yeah, and, and I do know that Joseph loved her with his whole soul. You read his writings. Right. 
I don't know. That's a good point. Why would their husbands go along? I don't know. Yeah, that's one of those categories of I don't know. All I know is that Heavenly Father loves us and it works out in their terms.
when you're married with your family, you for it. And I said, and I know for sure that what's waiting for you in the next life is a is a fullness of joy and and see and everything that's out there. And get all of that. But I can't do anything about your pain now. It's a grief. It's a loss. And it was at that moment that I saw a little bit of a possibility to say that is one of those places where good and might have been gone. That here's a wonderful woman that would have been a wonderful mother of Zion, and this might have been an opportunity for her. It's one of those one of those few times that I could see, okay, I can I pick that out a little bit in that in that circumstance too. I saw another word. Brigham Young says women like yeast to carry his blood to love. Yeah. And they were called wives. And they were grateful that their children were taken care of. Yeah. By someone who could love them as much as they did. Did you guys hear that? There was in the in the days of in Zion we were we were so in Deseret, we were so removed that the number of the plural wives were sent off to New York and Boston to be trained as doctors and nurses. Uh, and were able to leave their kids in the care of other wives well, and their sister wife to be able to do that. Okay, so what do we say? So, so let me ask you, if somebody comes along, not a member of the church, and says, do you guys still practice religion? You would say, no. How come you get in the first place? That's it. Unless the Lord commands otherwise. And it also says it. 
So, so that's our. So, what do we believe? We believe that it's one man, one woman. Unless the Lord commands otherwise, we hope that crazy. Right? Yeah. Can we can we raise the issue of linear polygamy where people men uh, go find their trophy wives and leave the other behind? Oh. And do we do we uh, oh. the, not the, even the raise the, the issue of, of not even marriage at all? Yeah, yeah. But for all of the pain that this was, the way that the world sometimes does it, and yeah, true. All right. So that's it. So I just think we have the ability to say, I don't think we have to apologize for it as much as we have to say there's so much here we don't know. We know it was an incredible trial. We know that it was painful. It was lived better in some places than others. I can't even imagine the, the heartache and, and feelings of that in general. Just can't. Just can't. You know, I, I often wonder what to say when that comes up. Yeah. Kingdom, Poland, Iraq. In 04, serious fighting. 
it's going on. 05, an explosion outside the United Kingdom. There are no reported injuries. 05, Star Wars, Episode 3, Revenge of the Side. I mean, all these important dates. Okay. Anything coming up on April 6, 2013? Yes. Deidre McFadden turns 40. Wave, Deidre. I'm a highly trained professional. I know how to do this. Mother of five beautiful children. The Troy, the love of Troy's life. The super mom. She hates that. She's brilliant. She's loving. She's caring. She's kind. She's melting. Only gets more beautiful inside and out with age. Love you, dinner. how it's done. <laughs> you, can, you can get him later. Yeah. Okay. Let's turn to section 132 verse 7. about to sound like a legal document because I think it's possible when we look at section 132 we can get caught up in the plural marriage side of this and miss a really important critical part of how the Lord operates with men on earth and women. Okay, so he's going to say all oaths Vows, performances, any that covenants, connections, associations, expectations. Oh, and then the next line is sealed by the Holy Spirit promise. Right? Okay. Let's stop here for a second. All oaths, vows, performances, and then let's see these next ones. Connections, associations, expectations. Ah, well, yeah. I leave those out. Did I leave out a line? All covenant. Oh, I did. I started with obligation. Oh, that's awful. Okay, you know it's there, right? Okay, good. Whoops. Okay. What is an expectation? Because we're talking about all of these oaths and contracts and covenants and vows and all these things, and we have this sense that it has to be sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We're talking about promise in a second. What's an expectation? That enough that it needs to be sealed by the Holy Spirit promise. Oh, it's our obedience. We are obedient because we expect to come to the Lord. So that is our vision. Ah, 
What is expectation? Hope. Hope. When I come back and look to the Hebrew language on that, it was, it's very clear across the board that it means hope. Now, there's, that begs the next question. Why does a hope need to be sealed? When we have a hope that we will be sealed, hope that things are going to happen, you know, uh, uh, gold not written is just a wish. Okay? Why would a hope have to be sealed? So it be sealed. Somebody with your scriptures want to hop over real quickly to Psalms 9, 18.
the expectations of war shall not perish forever. There's that word expectation, and he says, and I promise it. That is the Holy Spirit of promise. It's not just a, a hope or whimsy that it might happen. He says, you will be, it will be confirmed to your soul that this is going to happen. It's a Holy Spirit of promise. I promise you. And when God promises something, we hold on to that, right? Okay. Now, for that to be binding... This has to be performed by who? Of him. And there, there are a couple of requirements. Okay, and so so if it's a sealer, it's a lot like if this is a think about if you've ever sat in on the ceiling, all the blessings that are given to the couple being and these are promises, right? And you have a sealer performing by the Holy Spirit promise to seal in these incredible promises. But what does it take for it to be a sealer or for a, a priesthood holder under this, the inspiration of a of the Holy Ghost to give a blessing about what's going to happen? I remember with my kids, um, as they would start school and I would give them priesthood blessings and you just get this sense of kind of here's what's going to happen in this next school year. And I gave them promises. We can go back and read what I said. You know, we promise you this. This will happen. This will happen. This will happen. And then before we get into the next blessing the next year, we read the one from the year before. And the kids would listen to it. They go, "That happened. And that happened. Oh, if that was exactly how it happened, yeah, it was. The Lord knew you. Now let's give you one for the coming school year." Okay. Um. So of him, in order for this Holy Spirit of promise to be uh, efficacious, efficacious, to be sealed, of him who is anointed by revelation and commandment. So in other words, that sealing power that was held by Joseph Smith is then hands down uh, by generation um, from authority to authority to authority to authority. Now, if that's the case, what is that? Now, let me ask you, why would you need the Holy Spirit promise on We sealed, then what? Well, we have to have a Holy Spirit promise to make it effective. I mean, that's, that's the. Just like you pictured that, that's the stamp that makes it real. It makes it real, and it makes it real and binding on the records of the church. It was performed in the temple. Where else? In heaven, we know it's written up there, and where else? In the book of life, and where else? In our hearts. Yeah, we get it. We feel it. We sense it. We can experience it. We know it. We have an expectation that has been stamped by the Holy Spirit of promise and sealed, and we know it. That's why I always, I always had a fascinating sister when I was on my mission, and I would say, I know the Book of Mormon is true. 
and they'd say, well, you can't really know that. No, I do know that. No, nobody can know that. I know that. Don't tell me what I know and what I don't know. I know that. You just think you know. Oh, I know. Well, how do you know? No, but I don't know. Well, just because you don't know doesn't mean I don't know. <laughs> I know what I know. Because <laughs> we have that ceiling that the power of that expectation that settles on us. talking about uh, the law. The law is one, one husband, one wife. And this, this marriage, this sealing is going to be done by the Holy Spirit of promise. But it isn't a passive thing, is it? I always, I'm always amazed by uh, husbands and wives who come into my office and say, well, I fell out of love with him. Okay, is that like falling out of the turnip truck? take to can you fall back into the truck? No, it's going to take some energy. It's going to take some work to... I get how you... I, really, I said that facetiously. You can't fall out. It can go to sleep. It can just be on snooze control and you run with different lives and you just kind of fall out. But to fall back in takes work. 
it takes energy, and it takes doing some specific things. Through my book is the self whisper. We have to whisper to ourselves first before we can whisper to him. But I think so because that's one of those problems that someone once said that a husband and wife get married and and uh, the husband hopes the wife will stay the same and the wife hopes that the husband will change. <laughs> well, sometimes in that changing, we we need to change. By the way, sisters, I get it. We're kind of that's why it's the husband whisper because we're a little we're kind of spirited forces and we're kind of you know room crew all this stuff that we are we need to be softened and changed to a certain extent 
But it's not your job to do the changing, is it? It's the, it's the Lord's change. It's the Lord's job. It's not your job to fix your husband. But you need have a change of heart. Yeah. And when you have a change of heart, then what? It gets better. Yeah. It does. Because then you're leaving it in the Lord's hands to, to do that. And you're simply working on you becoming uh, true to your nature. You set that kind of environment up, and it's easy for him to make the changes in this way.
you push and push and push and push for him to be honest. You want honesty. When he's finally honest with you about something that you're doing, you pout, you, uh, you withdraw, you go away, you interrogate. So he's going to be in trouble if he doesn't talk. He's going to get beat up if he does talk. There's, there's your problem. I ran it by him and he went, that's exactly, so I say nothing. I just kind of, I'm frozen. She wants me to be honest. I can't say anything because then she's going to be depressed for the next two days and disappear to her room. So I just, I don't say anything at all. Well, yeah, there's, there's where we're going. We've got to be able to be open about those kind of things. So we're having to change the way they talk. Sometimes tone voice uh, comes across. I know, for instance, here, here's the battle that I, I fight a lot, and that is um, why I have a pornography problem, and I'm struggling with this. Okay, um, I need you to be open with me. Okay, so I'm going to tell you when I when I trip up, when I have relapses. So I tell you, okay, I had a hard time last night. Just needed you to know. Okay, then you go away for the next three days because. That's hurt you, and you can't, you know, now you don't love her anymore, and all that kind of stuff. And the ability, and this is hard, you go back to some of these challenges to be able to say, I value the honesty, and I've got to hang in there and hear what all is going on, and how to help, what can I do, even if it's really striking to my heart. But it's that ability to be open and honest, it's got to, to happen. And I think that's the expectation, the Holy Spirit of promise extending to the future. It's going to get better. If nothing else, the, 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 the celestial kingdom is full of perfect people for all of our imperfectness. Right. Oh, let's see, I got that one. Deidre, you want that one again? Okay. Yeah. When the anticipated 
returns on their investment don't materialize, or when the market drops, they are tempted or even threatened to sell out. They take counsel from their fears, their frustrations, and their partner's failings. Couples must understand that a celestial marriage comes only in process of time. Now listen close. I thought this was, I didn't understand this. Even for a remarkable Enoch, it requires 365 years to transform people whose hearts have waxed hard, whose ears were dull of hearing, and whose eyes could not see far off. How about that? Here's powerful Enoch. How long did it take to perfect his people? 365 years. And he's moving mountains and rivers and all kinds of pretty amazing guy. And it took him almost 400 years to perfect them. I think we need to give our spouses half a chance. To do. Give them a break. And, and, give yourself a break. To say, I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm struggling, but it's going to take me a while to change those things in my heart and my the things that I, how I see myself. I've got to change me. And that means trusting the Lord to change you. Does that sort of make sense? Okay. In a community of people who were one heart and one mind who dwell in righteousness. It just took a while for that to happen. Okay. Let me let me finish with this if I can. Um, I've been touched by a story this week that I read about uh, on the Russell and Nelson. Most of you know that he was a uh, world-renowned uh, heart surgeon uh, and was kind of involved real closely with the leadership of the church for quite a long time before as a regional representative and everything that was a personal doctor to a number of the brethren. Um, in 1957, the, the, the whole idea of heart transplants and heart surgery and everything, this was all cutting edge. We just didn't know exactly how they were and it was a really imperfect science, especially on kids. Now you're dealing with smaller cavities to work in and, and smaller hearts and not much feedback from the kids. And he was working a lot with kids in kind of a laboratory type setting. He had some members of the church that came to him uh, and they had, had one of their kids had three sons. <coughs> one of their sons had died from congenital heart disease. He didn't want that to happen again. So they took son number two uh, to then Dr. Nelson. And he operated on, on this little boy. And who then died on the operating table? Crushed it. Crushed it. Went back to the laboratory. Back to work and trying to understand what we do. Well, this thing would happen. A couple years later, same couple. Our third son's got it. We need you to operate on this boy. He's hesitant, but he thought he learned some things. Operated that boy in <clears throat> Died on the operating room. Elder Nelson was devastated. He says that his memoirs cried all night. Couldn't imagine the grief. And he told. He told his wife, that's it, I'm done. I can't go through this anymore. I can't put families through this anymore. I'm doing something wrong. 
and killed the kids. Thank you. 